Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, we are in chapter 3, verse 7. We started last week with a church at Philadelphia. I gave you the biblical basis for that, the spiritual aspect of that. And I wanted to follow up with that this week regarding the historical. Because I gave to you a chart uh, when we first started the study on the seven churches. And in that chart, I helped you to see and identify that each one of the churches actually represents a particular part or era in the church age. The church at Ephesus was the apostolic age whenever the church, when the apostles were there, followed by the church of Smyrna during the time of the Caesars when there was the persecution and on till the church was established. And and we're following that. And so today I want to focus on the aspect of the Philadelphia church age. And that ranges from about 1750 to about 1920, 1925 that period of time in the church age, which is called the, the open door, the church of the open door. And it's really when the church rediscovers the call of Christ to make disciples of all nations. Now that sounds funny for the church to rediscover that, but in that time period they actually do rediscover that. Because if you'll remember what had taken place at that time, we had the apostolic age followed by the persecution. Then you had Constantine came along and whenever he decided he would make the church a national religion and the church does become established and it becomes a powerful entity. But a lot of things that are happening in the church as far as being that powerful entity are not necessarily good things as they develop tradition more than the word of God as they began to protect the church and and persecute those who would interfere with the church or misinterpret things that were happening. And, And it was just a dark age for the church, followed by the church age of Sardis, which was right prior to Philadelphia, which is the time of the Reformation. We talked about a number of those people who gave their lives in order to put the Word of God back in the hands of, of the people, in order to, to understand that we're saved by grace through faith instead of the church, our works, to help us to understand that we're saved by a relationship with Christ rather than by baptism. And that was the time of the, the persecutions. It was the time of the Reformers. It was a very challenging time. But it was such a time, e- even though the, the Reformers, and we're so thankful for them, calling the church back to good doctrine and to the Bible, it was still a time of a lot of turmoil and a a lot of um, struggles within the church to the point that it was more about staying in right relationship with the church, more about the church and its entities and its systems than it was about the purpose of the church, which is the gospel. And now we come to the Philadelphia church and the church rediscovers what they're supposed to do, and that is the gospel. Remember that, that we're about the gospel, amen? The unique thing about the church is that we have a message that nobody else has. We have a hope that nobody else can give. And we have a Savior that no one else could ever touch. And and we are unique because of the message that we have and the hope that we offer. 
If it comes to being social, there are other groups better social than we are. If it comes to other aspects of teaching, there's probably somebody who can teach better than we do. But when it comes to salvation and eternity and life eternal, there is only one entity that has that message, and that's the church of the living God that shares the gospel of Christ. And we have to remember that that's our purpose. And, and here in this church at Philadelphia, in this time of church history, Jesus says it's an open door. Listen to what he says. I want to read verse uh, 7 and 8 and then verse 11. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. In verse 7, he says, he's the one who has the power to open that no one can shut, to shut that no one can open. And he says, now I'm telling you to the church at Philadelphia, to this era in the church, I'm opening a door that no one will be able to shut. And then in verse 11, he says, and I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Hold fast. We'll talk about that at the end of the message. This aspect of the open door, an open door is the door of opportunity for sharing the gospel. And and what basically Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia and saying to this particular era of the church, I'm going to open a door that the gospel is going to be shared, that evangelism and mission advancement is going to be as great a time as any time Probably the only time that would compare to it would be the apostolic age. In the apostolic age in that first century, whenever after Jesus was ascended, it's a wonderful time of evangelism and missions. You cannot read the book of Acts without understanding that. Because in the book of Acts, you see the Apostle Paul takes three missionary journeys and and he's carrying the gospel to the known land at that time. Peter is expanding the gospel and Philip is expanding the gospel. And everywhere they go, it's all about the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus and telling people that there is salvation in him. And everywhere they go, they're expanding the gospel. They're sharing with people. Masses of people are being saved Churches are being established in different places all over the known world at that time. And no time compares to that like this time of the church at Philadelphia. In this time and era from the 1750s to 1920, there is evangelism renewed. And people by the masses are coming to know Christ. And not only that, mission organizations are established and mission work is advancing beyond what we could ever imagine. It is a time whenever they are called back and they're doing what God called us to do. And that is, it's all about the gospel. It's not about maintaining the church. It's all about the gospel. And the church at Philadelphia is busy doing that. An interesting thing about this era of time is at the time when the population has grown over the apostolic time. It's also where the occupancy of the world and the earth is taking place. You think about what happens in the 1750s to 1920s. What's taking place? Well, one of the things is the United States and America, the colonies have been established and they're growing and they become the Declaration of Independence. All of those things happen in our world. 
But all over this world, the world is being occupied and, and the population is growing. And now God says through this era, it's time to go out. It's time to share the gospel. It's time to establish churches anywhere and everywhere. So God opens up that door. At that particular time as well, the world is more open than any time, especially more open than in our time. For see, you're going to find out, and I'll share with you some people in just a minute who were instrumental in this era, but you'll find out that we sent missionaries to China. Well, China's not a real open nation right now. We have missionaries there, but nobody knows they're missionaries. (laughs) Our, Our brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, Lynn's brother and family, they're there, but they don't know they're there necessarily to teach the gospel. They're helping them to learn English. They're there for another reason. If you read in the Alabama Baptist a few weeks ago, you saw where a church of 50,000 Christians in China was burned to the ground by the government. And you heard recently they're establishing new laws to try to stamp out and, and to keep the church from advancing in China. But in this time and in this era, China was wide open for the gospel. Asia was wide open for the gospel. It's before the Soviet Union came about and communism began to shut down. The Iron Curtain shut down the gospel for being shared. India was a wide open country where missionaries could go in and share the gospel of Christ. India is not an open country. Now, if you're a missionary there, if you're a Christian there, chances are you will be imprisoned, if not killed, if you're trying to share your faith. Everywhere in our world now, there are, seem to be closed doors. We're still trying to get the witness in. It's not easy to get the witness in. But at this time, it was an open door. The world was open because Jesus said that he opened up that door. He opened up that door for the gospel to be shared. Philadelphia was an interesting city. Out of that, if you'll go in your map in the back of your Bible, it has the seven churches of Asia Minor, the revelation identified, you start at Ephesus and go up, and you go up and take it, and you start coming back down. But if when you get to Philadelphia, it's an interesting thing, because Philadelphia is actually the border, the border of three of the ancient countries, Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia. All of those border right there in Philadelphia. Could imagine this, right in this town, which is the, one of the cities of Pergamon, Right in this town, all of those countries and those countries all come together right in that spot. Because that was true, the king of Pergamon, which Philadelphia was one of the cities, he decided that Philadelphia would be the place to do, hold on a second, to do mission work for the Hellenization of those pagan countries. Hellenization is the idea of helping them to become Greeks. It's the idea of teaching them the Greek language, Making, revealing to them Greek art, Greek culture, the Greek lifestyle. And that king was determined that he had the responsibility of helping those heathen nations to become more Greek in their thinking and how they would act. So he set out that mission, that purpose to make them like Greeks. Well, isn't it interesting that same philosophy, that same idea from that church of Philadelphia, it is an instrumental place where the gospel would be shared that the gospel would go out from that church into all of these heathen countries. But it's not to be Greek. It's to be Christian. It's to learn how to talk like a Christian. Learn how to live like a Christian. Learn about the hope of a Christian. That there in this city of Philadelphia, there's this opportunity 
for there to be influence on the world around them. And therefore, Philadelphia is picked out, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to be the picture of the missionary church. The missionary church, the missionary age, the age of the open door. It's interesting what uh, W.A. Criswell said about the Philadelphia church. He says this, The Philadelphia church is the church of missionaries. It is the church of evangelists. It is the church of Bible societies. It's the church of soul winners. It's the church of worldwide preaching of the gospel of the Son of God. In that particular era, in that particular time, you find that all these things are taking place. All this is coming together because at the time whenever it is the open door for the gospel to be shared. And the church at Philadelphia took advantage of that. Took advantage of that. Walked through those open doors. Made a difference in the world in which they live. That church era is a very, very important time. So I want to introduce to you and remind you some of those people who were instrumental or important during that church era. I want us to do a little history if we could. I want to talk to you first about some preachers and evangelists, and then I want to talk to you about some missionaries. And some of these people you're going to know very well. First preacher that I want you to see if you remember, how many of you ever heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Raise your hand. All right, many of you have heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon lived in this time period. Spurgeon was born in 1834, died in 1892. He's probably the most outstanding Baptist preacher of any time, and especially one of the most outstanding Baptist preachers in England. Before his 20th birthday, he became the pastor of New Park Street Chapel in Southwark, London. He was 19 years old when he became the pastor of this outstanding church. That church grew so rapidly in this time of the open door and the gospel being shared that they finally built what was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The Metropolitan Tabernacle seated 6,000 people. And he would fill the Metropolitan Tabernacle multiple times on Sundays for people to come and hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach. He was the pastor there from 1861 to 1891, 30 years he preached in that tabernacle when literally thousands of people came to know Christ under his preaching and under his ministry. Not only did thousands of people come to faith in Christ, he had an opportunity to train over 900 men in what he called his pastor school and sent those men to be pastors and missionaries and evangelists around the world. He impacted their life. His sermons and commentaries are classics to this day. An outstanding preacher who won many people to Christ. And he was in the era of the Philadelphia church. That open door time. A second person who was from the United States. You've probably heard of him. His name was Dwight L. Moody. Heard of Moody? Of course most of us have. Dwight L. Moody was probably the most noted evangelist of his day, and he was from the United States. 
Moody grew up in a very poor family. At the age of 17, he left his home and he went to Boston. In Boston, he went to work for his uncle in a shoe shop. It was there working in that shoe shop that he was invited to Sunday school by Edward Kimball. And Edward Kimball was his Sunday school teacher. And Edward Kimball led him to Christ and Dwight L. Moody was converted. You need to remember Edward Kimball's name. Because of the multitudes of thousands of people who came to know Christ and are credited to Dwight L. Moody, Edward Kimball gets the same credit, amen? Because he, through Sunday school, led him to Christ. Let me tell you something. If nothing else and nothing else you hear today, I hope you understand Sunday school is important. Sunday school is important. That's how people get saved through Sunday school. Dwight L. Moody came and gave his heart to Christ because a Sunday school teacher taught him about Jesus in Sunday school. He eventually moved to Chicago in 1865, and he became a successful businessman and an active member of the congregational church there. Every Sunday, he filled four pews in the church with those he recruited that week. Did y'all hear that? Every Sunday, he filled four pews of that church with people he recruited that week. Y'all need to get busy. Isn't that amazing? Not, not only that, at the age of 23, he decided he was going to start his own Sunday school. He wasn't the teacher. He was the administrator and the recruiter. That's how much he believed in Sunday school. Soon he began to devote himself to full-time ministry. And he spoke at Sunday school conventions. He preached to the troops. And he was also the founder and president of the YMCA. Between 1873 and 1875, he toured Great Britain. And he conducted mass meetings there in Great Britain which launched his career as a renowned evangelist. After that campaign, he came back and he devoted himself totally to conducting revival campaigns. It was Dwight L. Moody who was the first who had these gatherings of crusades where masses of people would come and to hear him preach. You know that Billy Graham did that and many other evangelists, but Dwight L. Moody is the first one who thought of that concept of those revival campaigns. And literally by the hundreds and by the thousands, people came to know Christ because Dwight L. Moody was preaching God's word. But not only that, he's also established a number of Bible societies and he established what is known as the Moody Bible Institute that is in Chicago that is there to this day. And think of the number of students, young preachers, and everybody that's been sent out in those years from that institute that he established, he was one of the people who was living in the time of the open door. Two other guys I want you to know about who were preachers and evangelists, they were called John and Charles Wesley. You have heard of the Wesleys, haven't you? John and Charles Wesley are the ones who founded the Methodist Church. Exactly. They founded the Methodist Church. They were both, they were brothers Charles was born in 1703. Uh, John was born in 1703. Charles was born in 1707. John, it says, was the organizer and the administrator. And Charles Wesley was the sweet singer of Methodism. 
He wrote more hymns probably than any person alive. Literally thousands of hymns that he wrote and had been sung. And many of those we sing. They were committed themselves to Christ as college students to serve the Lord faithfully. And through that, they committed themselves to do whatever God would have them to do. One of the first things they did was to take on the challenge of coming to the new world. You know what the new world was, don't you? You're sitting in it. They came to the new world. They came there in 1737 to preach the gospel of Christ. And do you know where they landed? They landed in a place, a colony called Georgia. You ever heard of that place? They spent a year there in Georgia working with the governor and trying to preach, but they just weren't satisfied with their results. On their trip back to England, they met a group of the Moravian brothers. Moravian brethren were a group who believed and taught a lot about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power and the anointing of God. These were committed people who gave their lives in such dedication to God, and the Wesleys had a chance to meet them. The Moravians were such committed believers and believed so much in letting the power of God lead them and the gospel being shared that Moravians would go and they would give themselves to be slaves so that they could be chained with the slaves to have an opportunity to share the gospel with those slaves. That's dedication, my friend. And they met the Moravian brothers, and whenever they met them, they they both described that there was something warm that was happening in their heart within their soul. And it renewed them and energized them to where they came back to the new world, and they began to preach the gospel with greater passion. He said, these brothers believed that their calling was to travel from place to place, preaching wherever they could. If a church opened up their pulpit, they would preach in the pulpit. Or if they couldn't find a pulpit, they would preach in the marketplace. Wherever they could get a crowd, they would preach. And they literally traveled tens of thousands of miles preaching the gospel of Christ wherever they might land. That's not tens of thousands of miles in a car. That's not tens of thousands of miles in an airplane. That's tens of thousands of of miles on horseback going to share the gospel of Christ. And as they shared the gospel of Christ in the marketplace, the common people, it was the time of the Industrial Revolution. But in the time of the Industrial Revolution, the common people were hearing the gospel of Christ because of men like John and Charles Wesley, who gave of their life in this period and in this time of the church of the open door. But not only in this era was there great preaching and great evangelism that was happening, it was also the time when mission expansion began to take place. Such as a man named Hudson Taylor. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hudson Taylor. He was from England, but he was one of the first missionaries and he went to China in 1853. His funding for his mission program all dried up and he had to come home. That's one of the important things about giving to missions. We don't ever want our missionaries to have to come home. Amen? Southern Baptists have a great plan called the Cooperative Program. And we have all kinds of opportunities to give to support our missionaries so they can be about the business of the kingdom. But Hudson Taylor had to come home. While he came home, while being at home, he finished his medical training And he went back to China and formed what was called the China Inland Mission. 
And that became the first interdenominational faith-based foreign mission program. It became a prototype for all other faith-based missions that is, was used in the 1900s up to today. We have all kinds of mission organizations where they go out by faith and people support them. And Hudson Taylor was the one who first did that in his ministry and in his faithfulness to be a missionary. He had some innovative thoughts and ideas about missions. One is he didn't just take preachers. He'd take anybody who's willing to go. The qualification is they love God and willing to make a difference in somebody's world and, and to be able to learn that language. And he took people wherever they might be. Another thing he taught the people was that missionaries are not to be from the West. They're to be from whatever country they were in. And at that time, all of his missionaries, he required them in China to dress as the Chinese dressed. And not only that, he understood the importance of the home church knowing and, and the homeland knowing what would happen. So he was a prolific writer. And he would come back and he would preach. And he wanted everybody at home to know what was happening because he understood that for missions to be successful, the people back home had to support it in prayer, and in giving. Alongside of Hudson Taylor, there's somebody that you probably know. He's a, he was a, a Baptist. His name was William Carey. You've heard of William Carey? In Mississippi, if you're from Mississippi, everybody's heard of William Carey because our Baptist school, one of our Baptist schools in Mississippi is called William Carey College. William Carey, he was one, as a young man, had a burning passion in his heart that he wanted to see people of other lands come to know Christ. He went before the council of the church to ask them to do that, and they basically got kind of threw cold water on him and said, just wait, that'll all happen in time, but that's not for you to worry about. Well, he did worry about it. He gave his life that he was going to be a missionary to India, and he left to go to India. The first place he was, they really didn't want to receive him, so he just got and went up river about 18 miles till he found a place that they would let him settle in India. And while he was there in India... He worked, he taught, he shared, and eventually he built schools and colleges. Many people came to know Christ, and he sent out preachers from that Indian schools. He sent out preachers all around that country to lead people to Christ, William Carey. Certainly you've heard of this one. His name is Adoniram Judson. The reason you should have heard of him, because if you're from Baptist life... We have a college called what? Judson College. Named for Adoniram and Ann Judson. They were from the United States. And they, like Kerry, went to India to serve. He ended up in Burma. He was there for six years. Listen to this. He was there for six years without one convert. How many of us would have stayed six years without one convert? How many of us would have stayed six months Without a convert. But for six years, he stayed there preaching and sharing and loving the people. Not only that, the revolution happened at that time. And he did not leave the country. He and his wife, Anne, stayed in that country. And he was arrested and imprisoned. He was placed in chains and he stayed in chains for years. He became sick with fever. He suffered from the excruciating heat of the jungles. He was terribly treated by his jailers and keepers. It says in a testimony, had it not been for his wife Anne feeding and nurturing him, he would have died. But he didn't die. He lived. 
And eventually he saw thousands of natives of India come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why? Because it's the church of the open door. Because it's time to spread the gospel to every point, to every place. And these people took advantage of that open door. Two more that you should know, I would hope you know. One of them's name was Lottie Moon. Have you ever heard of Lottie Moon? Certainly we know of Lottie Moon. She was a Southern Baptist. She gave her life in China. She loved the people of China. She encouraged Southern Baptists as she would write back and encourage Southern Baptists to send more people, to send more money, to help the people of China. She was such a dedicated believer and loved the people of China so much that in the difficult times she would not even eat her ration of food but would give it to others that they might have food to eat. And when she finally comes home, when she finally begins her journey home, they call her because of malnutrition, she is coming home and she does not make it home but dies on that ship because of malnutrition. She gave her life for missions. And because of that, because of that, Southern Baptist honored her. And they named the International Foreign Mission Board, International Mission Board, the Christmas offering after Lottie Moon. And for years and years, we've been giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support international missions. I heard one guy say one time, when are we ever going to get that woman paid off? <laughs> Not till Jesus comes. Amen. And because of her life and dedication, she's honored with that offering that we give to support our missionaries all over this world. And certainly there's one that I hope you know. I don't know if you know it, but his name was Dr. T.W. Ayers. Dr. T.W. Ayers, if you go over to the fireside room, there's a picture of Dr. Ayers there. Because Dr. Ayers was the first Southern Baptist medical missionary to China who served alongside of Lottie Moon. And the neat thing about Dr. Ayers is he was a member of Parker Memorial Baptist Church. So think about that, that in this day of the open door, in this opportunity for an open witness, one of our own went and served. Randy Ayers in 2014 wrote a really good article about his, I think it's his his grandfather, great-grandfather, Dr. Ayers is. But go back and look at that article. Because the article talks about that not only was he in danger from soldiers, but he was also an epidemic and, and a plague, and many, many people were dying. And Dr. Ayers stayed there for 20-plus years, meeting the needs of those people in China and bringing healing to them. And you can take great pride and joy in that because that person's one of us. Amen? One of us. And these are people who are part of that era and part of that time of giving their lives to the open door, walking through and making a difference in that era. Well, it brings me back to this verse that I wanted to show you and we'll be finished in verse 11. Verse 11, it says this, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Now, I want you to look at verse 13 too. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the... Does that say church? Or what does it say? It says churches. 
This message that he gives to the church of Philadelphia is not just to the church of Philadelphia. The message of what he says is for all churches and it's for our church. And this is what he basically says to us in this word. I want you to know I am coming quickly. You realize that Jesus is closer to coming today than he was yesterday, amen? And Jesus said he is coming quickly. And he basically tells us this, I'm coming. And when I come, you're going to have to give an account of what you're doing. I'm coming, so be ready. I'm coming, so stay at the task. I'm coming, I'm coming, be ready. He says that to all churches. So what does he say to us? He says, I'm coming quickly, so what does he say? Listen, hold fast what you have. Or another way to put that is keep doing what you're doing. Well, what was the church at Philadelphia doing? They were walking through the open door. They were sharing the gospel of Christ. They were evangelizing their world. They were expanding the mission ministry and advancing the kingdom of God. They were about the kingdom business. And so what does Jesus say to us and to all churches? Keep doing. Hold on to what you're doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep at the task. For that is the most important task of the church is to share the gospel of Christ both here and abroad. Let the gospel be shared. That's what he says. What he says then, in order that no one take your crown. You know, we get to heaven, in heaven it says there are many different crowns, but this particular crown, what he's talking is in reference to this open door. It's in reference to the fact of sharing this gospel of Christ. It's, it's in, in fact of walking through that others might know it. And so I like to think that one of the crowns that we have, on that crown are going to be the opportunities we have and the help we were to bring people to Jesus. To bring people to Jesus. That crown just consists of the jewels that we have a part of that play a part in bringing someone to Christ. When you play a part of bringing somebody to Christ, there's a jewel in that crown. There's a jewel in that crown. Now, I will never have the crown that Dwight L. Moody had. I'll never certainly have the crown that Billy Graham had. Amen? They, all, they brought many, many. But I'm not to be concerned about Billy or Dwight's crown. I'm to be concerned about my own. And I'm to stay on the task of helping people to come to know Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? Well, there are a number of ways. One thing is obvious. Just tell somebody. If you'll go and tell somebody and be a witness of your faith to somebody, you're a part of bringing that person to Christ if they come to Christ. You are a faithful witness. That's the simplest of things. Just go tell somebody about Jesus. Let the main thing that Jesus wants to be in the church be the main thing in your life, and that's to tell about who he is. A second thing, though, is you can pray. Pray for a person. Do you pray for somebody to get saved? Do you have a list of people that you're praying for those people to come to know Jesus? I hope you do. Are you praying for our missionaries who are out there carrying on the work of Christ that they'd win people to Jesus? I hope that you are. And your prayers count. For see, your prayers are a vital part of seeing those people come to know Jesus. And that person who comes to know Jesus, that is a jewel in your crown. Because why? Because you prayed. Because you prayed. Another thing you can do is to give. That's one of the greatest joys I have is giving. And through giving through my church, as I give through my church, 
Anybody who comes to know Jesus through our church, that's part of my crown. I've been a part of that because I've, been, I've given to that. Or if I give to international missions or I give to North American missions or I give to missions, every time somebody comes to know Christ, that's a part of my crown. Why? Because I'm participating, I'm giving. And, and you say, boy, that would be hard for God to keep an accounting of all the things you do. And he, I don't have to do it. God's the one who keeps the account, amen? And he knows what we're doing and, and what we're about. So you can tell, you can pray, you can give, or you can go. You don't have to go permanently. You can just go for a weekend. You can go for a week. You can go and do something, but you're going out there being involved in missions, helping somebody to come to know Jesus Christ. And when you do, your crown is being focused on. When you do, you're not going to lose that crown. But if we get too busy in life and we forget the main thing, if we forget that we're here for the purpose of leading people to Christ, then we've lost the crown because we've lost the very purpose of why we're here. So I encourage you, tell somebody. Pray for somebody. Give, amen, and go. So that you'll hold fast because he is coming. And Jesus said, he's coming quickly. I don't think he's far off from coming. What a wonderful era in the church. If I had to pick an era I'd like to have lived in, I'd like to have lived in the Philadelphia era of the open door. But wait a minute. We're in the Laodicean area. We'll talk about that next week. But we still have the same responsibility, don't we? We might not see him coming by the masses. We might not find it as easy as it was at another time. But we're still about the business of the kingdom doing what God called on us to do, and winning those people to Christ. And God gives us the opportunity of impacting. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.